Starting up a business is hard, really, really hard. Your chances of failure are high. You're likely to lose both your sleep and your hair. But luckily for you, you're not alone. Welcome to ET Startup School, your step-by-step -step guide to starting, building and consolidating your startup business idea. Your teachers at the ET Startup School will be some of India's best-known entrepreneurs, VCs and domain experts. So grab a notebook, pay close attention, school is about to start. Today's class at ET Startup School is called What are the Secrets of Bootstrapping? Your teacher is Nitin Kamath, founder and CEO Zerodha. Nitin founded Zerodha in 2010 with money that he had saved up. Using a flat fee model, Zerodha went on to become India's largest retail broking platform and one of the largest retail trading platforms in the world. Nitin did all of this without raising any external money, either in the form of equity or debt. What's more, in 2022, Zerodha reported a net profit of over 2,000 crore rupees. Who better to teach us about bootstrapping than Nitin Kamath himself? Nitin Kamath, welcome to ET Startup School. Today's episode is called, What are the Secrets of Bootstrapping? Let's start with a basic term first. In your definition, what does bootstrap mean? Bootstrapping mean what is it and what is it not? Thanks, Suresh, for having me on this. Uh, I, think, I think bootstrapping is building a business without diluting equity in the business so you know uh, so which is without raising any professional money be it venture capital or private equity um i think few people think raising debt disqualifies them from being bootstrapped but but it isn't bootstrapping is is not diluting stake in the business but you can go raise money from you know a bank or you know borrow money from someone to build a business you know that still qualifies you <laughs> as a bootstrap business so, Nitin, if I wanted to start a bootstrap business today, uh, should I raise money from what's called the 3F rule, which is family, friends and fools? <laughs> I think firstly, there's no cut copy paste, right? Not every business can be bootstrap. Like if you're building an e-commerce business, can you really build it bootstrap? It's unlikely, right? But if you're... Or an, or an airline, for instance, you may not yeah, be... Yeah, absolutely. As in, there are so many businesses that can't, but there are, you know, some businesses which are very tech heavy you know where uh, competition cannot just catch up on you by outspending you so uh, you know in those kind of businesses you can potentially build it bootstrap um and yeah and i think i'm i'm not sure about family uh, you know but but friends also i'm not sure <laughs> so if you if you're really going and raising money out you know family and friends kind of bring in some obligation of sorts mm -hmm. uh, uh, and i think i think bootstrapping is about you know, is about building a business without having any external obligations of sorts. So, uh, uh, family and friends kind of bring in money, but but yeah, but if it's going to help you get a business from an idea idea to kind of an MVP by raising you know some money from people you know, I think uh, yeah, I think I think you you would still call yourself a bootstrap business. You know, if you haven't gone out there and raised uh, professional money of sorts. So, Nitin, you're saying uh, bootstrapping means no taking money from VCs or PEs. I can borrow money from a bank, which is going to be pretty hard. No borrowing money from family and friends, ideally, because you don't want to lose your friendships or sour relationships yeah. with your family. That leaves only fools or the money that you earn. <laughs> Most businesses, if not all, need some money to start off with. Tell us, what money did you start off with and where did you get that money from? At zero that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, you know, a thing that uh, a lot of people don't know is that there was 12 years uh, that went into work before Zerodha started. Now, I used to be a trader. 
uh, from the late 90s. Uh, Nikhil, my younger brother, joined me in 2006. You know, he's seven years younger. He was a better trader. So, and you know, around 2009, the question we asked is, if he's a better trader than I am, why should two people sit and trade? You know, I thought I said, now why can't I go give a shot at building a better broker for traders like us? And he continues trading. Uh, so we had kind of saved up some corpus. We borrowed some money, and you know, we put together enough money to get ourselves a license on the exchange. Uh, so in in our business, if you want to become a broker, uh, you need to give a deposit on the exchange uh, and and get a license. And you also need to have a tech platform of sorts. You know, to become a broker, you need a license and you need like a trading platform. Uh, now, uh, the defining point in our journey was when uh, the National Stock Exchange of India, uh, they gave out a free trading platform for brokers in late 2000s, you know, around 2007, 2008. Uh, and the idea of Zeroda came by because we spotted an opportunity. We said, if tech is coming for free, can you then go build a business and disrupt on the pricing? So we had saved up some money and uh, and Nikhil was trading. So the first one, two years of our business, um, I think we we ran the business uh, from Nikhil's trading income. You know? So he was trading by the side and uh, whatever profits he was generating was what was uh, you know, helping us run the business. So it's it's it would have been impossible for us to bootstrap this if that background wasn't there. Okay, so Nitin, what you're saying is that you started a business using your own money, properly your savings, and the earnings that your brother was making. You took a bet on a very low probability event because all startups are extremely low probability events, uh, and you bet the house on it. Or did you have a backup plan? Did you say if this doesn't work, I'll go back and get a job? What was your backup plan? No, see, thing is, uh, we were subbrokers at that point of time. You know, I was a subbroker for Reliance Money. So what it meant was. Uh, we used to pay the main broker a certain fees, right? So the backup plan was that if Zeroda doesn't work in one or two years, I get back to trading. Mm-hmm. And in the process, we would have saved on the brokerage we were paying our you know, main broker of sorts. Mm-hmm. So so the backup plan was that. And, and also when we started, right, our ambitions were very small. You know, I mean, there was no, you know, like I still remember the first time I sent an email to four or five of us, you know, who were part of the original team that, if you get to 100,000 customers, it would be like we have arrived in lifetimes, you know, and uh, because I think if we had like really large ambitions, I doubt if you would have bootstrapped this as well, right? Because How then, many customers do you have now? 8.7 million or something? <laughs> no, we're, we're around 11 million. You know? So, okay. yeah, so it's, uh, that, but you know, if I had 11 million as my uh, uh, number when I started uh, the business, it was impossible for you to have built it bootstrap because then, you know, you would have like, you know, I want to chase this number down and you would have to spend money to acquire customers and that would have taken you on a different path, you know? So, so yeah, so I think, I think uh, in a way this whole, you know, not being very ambitious also helped you know, us remaining bootstrap through the journey of sorts. Nitin, in an earlier answer, you said that not every business can be bootstrapped. So what's a good rule of thumb for young entrepreneurs to know if they're in a bootstrappable business or not? How do I tell? I think, you know, like personally, one of my qualms of this whole, whatever has happened over the last four or five years in the Indian startup ecosystem has been that it's almost become impossible for startups to today build a business, you know, even get to an MVP without raising capital, right? Mm -hmm. Because the cost of hiring, you know, the cost of, you know, like, you know, it's just the cost of doing anything is so high that, you know, unless you have like five to 10 crore rupees, it's really hard for anyone to build. True. 
an MVP of sorts. So it's almost impossible today, I think, unless you come from a you know from wealth or you you know you have money uh, already from family or your own money. You know, it's it's unlikely that you'll be able to bootstrap. So I think the way people should approach this whole bootstrapping now, in given today's context, is uh, is to think of money as an obligation. So when you raise money, the money brings an obligation, uh, and how do you take on that obligation by overselling or underselling, right? Because if I go meet an investor and I oversell the potential outcome of the business, that investor will then push me to get to that outcome which I promised, mm-hmm. right? But if I'm able to go raise money by underselling a business, right, and you know, then that money comes with much lesser obligation. So it gives you more freedom to run your business more like a bootstrap business, right? Uh, you know, if you were to, you know, if say a startup comes to me and say, Nitin, I will get to 100 crores revenue in three years then, you know, he's obligated now to get to that, you know, if not 100 crores to 50 crores, you know, and uh, so then, you know, he's forcing an investor to be like someone following up and asking if even if someone gets to 50 crores, they're like, you didn't get to 100. That's what you had said in the start. Mm-hmm. Right. But if he comes and raises money saying, I don't know where I'll be in three years from now, but this is the idea. This is a problem that I'm solving. And, you know, your money will help us get from this point to this point. And whatever the outcome it will, you know, I mean, in the sense, you know, if you were to just, you yep. You know, undersell the pitch, then you know you'll get an investor who will potentially be more like a co-founder than than a investor of sorts. So I would say in today's world, it's really hard to remain uh, to do anything bootstrap if you don't really come from wealth. So think of bootstrapping as as like you know think of investors more like uh, how you would you know get family into the business of sorts. And don't oversell or you know undersell and get them on the table versus trying to oversell of sorts. Okay, Nitin, I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this podcast are going to say, but I have to oversell. How do I get the valuation that I want? What if I undersell and I have to raise money at an extremely low valuation and I dilute? I don't want to do that. See, I think I think it's just not in business, right? I think, you know, through our life, all of us, we are always, you know, we have two choices, right? Either short-term outcomes or long-term outcomes, you know, and, and we are always, I think, prioritizing short-term outcomes over long-term, uh, you know, like... If I'm on a diet, I see a cake, piece of cake, you know, I, I've forgotten the diet, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really bothered about that dopamine hit I get right now. So even I think in running a business is the same thing, you know, it's about can you prioritize what is right for the long term over what is right for the short term, because that's what's going to eventually help the business, right? As in, so yeah, so if today, for example, you know, we, I think we, we've celebrated all these valuation stories over the last four or five years. But if you think about it today, you know, as an outcome of all that, there are a bunch of non-resilient, non-sustainable businesses out there, right? And and also all that valuation hasn't really helped build create uh, mm-hmm. sustainable businesses, right? So uh, so I think I think entrepreneurs should think of business more as five years and 10 years and not 12 months and 18 months. Right. I think one of the you know problems with the ecosystem that I've seen is that everyone is constantly thinking about 12 month, 18 month runway and then just doing whatever is right for you know, for the next 12 or 18 months, right? And then you're, you're the kind of choices you make will be very different, right? If you're thinking really, really long-term, you know, I mean, then you wouldn't really, you know, really worry about a little more dilution or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you'll not care about overselling or you'll not care about, I mean, you'll not take money from any anyone, you know, you'll think of 10 years saying, I want to take money from only a type of investor, you know, who believes for the next 10 years and not for the next 12, 18 months. So I think, 
no but it's e- easier said than done you know it's it's a big challenge <laughs> you know to be able but to you've done it you've done it so it is it can be done as well even if it's not easy to do you and i perhaps sridhar vembu of zoho are living proof that it can be done no i mean it's a, there is you know um, uh, you know with us there has been a lot of right place right time you know we started the business at the right time there was a lot of momentum in the indian economy india went digital uh, you know and 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 we were just there there's so many times in this journey we were at the right place right time i keep talking about this to people in the office that if you were to start zeroda today it's impossible to do this bootstrap right because uh, there is it's impossible that everything that happened in the last 10 years for us in terms of being at the right place right time will repeat and also the market is already so crowded today that today if someone has to if i had to build zeroda again it's uh, you know i have to take the path of raising as much money as possible you know spending on marketing and advertising and all of that uh because there are already you know entrenched competitors today uh, which weren't there you know when we started the business for the first 3 or 4 years not there was not a single competitor who even came around to say let me do what zeroda is doing let me see if it's even working or not you know so um so it'll be much harder today you know the world's i think getting a lot more efficient you know so it's uh, those easy opportunities don't exist uh, as many exist in india at least anymore you know so nitin i noticed you said the word right time right place a couple of times in your previous answer how important is luck for any entrepreneur and especially a bootstrapped entrepreneur no i think it's important for every single entrepreneur um, i mean i have a few things you know when i think about luck i think of it a few few ways i mean of course luck can't happen i mean if you're not really putting work i mean it can't only be luck but i think one of the things that you can do to increase the odds of getting lucky is you know the the longer you survive the higher the odds of you survive you know getting lucky right as in in a sense a lot of people think zeroda as uh, a 10 year old business but we have we've been noticed in the last 5 or 6 years but there was 10 12 years of struggle that went before zeroda right as in in my head i think zeroda is like a 22 23 year old business right mm-hmm. and uh, so i survived for 10 or 12 years and then luck happened right as in and and the really the question was can you survive long enough before luck happens um, you know some people have it in the first year some might have it in the 10th year some might have it in the 15th year right as in so so i think one way to get increase the odds of getting lucky is really uh, you know just be able to survive long enough and to be able to survive long enough i think you need to build a business around your core competencies right you know around things that you like love to do right so then you know that the time you spend till you get lucky doesn't feel like a drag you know in the sense you know you can survive uh, easier um the other thing about luck you know the way i think of it is um i mean it's more philosophical it is more around uh, you know like if more people want you to get lucky you know your odds of getting lucky also increases right and um, so yeah so if your customers want you to get lucky your team wants you to get lucky so you're you know when you think of luck like that then you automatically make choices as a business which is right for your customer which is right for your team and at the end of the day the only way a businessman can do well is you know your customer wants you to do well and your team wants you to do well right as in uh, so so i think i think uh, these two are important aspects and uh, but yeah but luck is you know it's like the salt in the gravy you can have everything <laughs> and and without a salt that's not going to taste well Uh, Nitin, the Roman philosopher Seneca said that luck is what happens when opportunity meets preparation. Right. right? Absolutely. So luck is, opportunities all around us, but we're simply not prepared to take advantage of the opportunity. I'm going to go to your previous answer, which you said you need to last long enough. So sometimes in a business, you have to spend money first, build your product, build your service, build your servers, hire your people. 
And one of the best kinds of finance from what you're saying is customer finance. When consumers actually pay you money to buy your product or service, but there could be a lag. There could be a lag of three months, six months, one year before. You need to spend money first and you'll earn the money a little later. How do you survive that period? See, this whole earn, you know, you know, acquire and then earn is a very, you know, relatively new concept, right? As in, otherwise, you know, traditionally every business, you know, for centuries together, every business acquired a customer to start earning immediately, right? As in, it didn't make sense, uh, you know, if you, if you if you have to spend more money to acquire a customer than what you can potentially earn, right? Yeah. I think I think what has happened in the last five six years is just excess liquidity in the in the world, you know, which is kind of you know pushed people to think of you know building a business this way. You know, there is also another you know aspect to this, which is around the tax arbitrage of sorts. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. So today, if uh, you know if uh, I want to take some profits from the business. Uh, I have to pay 25% as corporate tax, right? And then I have to pay, you know, say 45% as personal income taxes once I, you know, take money as dividend or whatever, you know? So uh, so technically you're paying almost 60, 65%, you know, in tax, 55 to 60% in taxes, mm-hmm. right? Now, on the other hand, if I sold a stake in my business, I could get capital gains mm-hmm. at 20% mm-hmm. versus paying... 55% on profit, right? So so the thing is, also what has happened is, I think for a lot of investors in businesses, they don't care about a share of profits anymore. They want a share of the valuation because it's a lot more tax efficient to get capital gains versus trying to earn through profits, right? I mean, if you go back in time, you know, people wanted to earn through dividends, right? Back, you know, like, you know, many decades back, but today no one cares, right? No, like, you know, if you go ask any of the startups and you say, you know, I'll give dividend to my investor, the investor will laugh at you, you know, like, dude, why are you giving dividends, right? Because so, so the thing is the kind of money that is coming in is also coming with, you know, saying, I don't want your profits. I want a capital gain. So, you know, dude, you just take this money and continuously keep growing. And, and this whole continuously keep growing. You cannot keep growing all the time because, you know, markets also have cycles. You know, there are up cycles, down cycles. Like, you know, now that the interest rates have turned around, you know, you can assume for the next, you know, the consumption cycle is going to, you know, taper down or sorts, right? As in, and uh, and at that point of time, you can you can be a sitting duck if you haven't reached a profitability, self-sustainable kind of a area when the cycles turn around. So, so yeah. So I think uh, I think uh, there are there are so many things that has you know played around this whole acquire customer uh, at whatever cost, right? The, because what was happening is all the valuation was based on how many customers you are acquiring at at what rate. Right, so the investor is forcing you to acquire as many customers at what rate? Otherwise, as a business, it makes absolutely no sense. Right? Like uh, one of the reasons I think we could we have remained bootstrapped is because we haven't spent a single rupee on acquiring a customer. Uh, on the contrary, you know we sp- we we collect two hundred rupees per account from customer. That means uh, when someone asks me what's the CAC, we say it's minus two hundred rupees, right? Because you know, uh, you know because we actually charge money then. And the reason for charging money is because one, you know, we're in the business of money. We want to set a sense of seriousness when a customer onboards. Mm-hmm. Every customer brings a compliance cost, right? As in, you know, if if our customer comes and you know he does a fraud somewhere else, so we can potentially get caught in that, right? So, I mean, there are a lot of costs acquiring a user, and it's just not, you know, it's just not a vanity metric saying, you know, I have eleven million users, right? So, um, uh, so. So I think I think yeah, all of these together has kind of 
not only do you not have any customer acquisition cost, you have a customer acquisition benefit to yourself. It's not even a cost. It's like a customer acquisition revenue. Yeah. You know, not a CAC anymore. It's a CAR or CAP <laughs> that you need to invent. No, I mean, so we keep talking about this. Uh, you know, the 11 million customers, if we had spent, say, between four to 5,000 rupees acquiring a customer, which is what a lot of our competitors spend, acquiring an active customer. 5,000 rupees, that's a lot. Yeah, but but active customer, right? I mean, you can get, to get one active customer, you would probably have to spend on eight inactive ones, you know? So, you know, right? So, uh, so yeah, if you would spend, you know, to get to our 1.1 crore customers, we would have spent four, 5,000 crore rupees. Now, four, 5,000 crore rupees is all the profits we've generated and our net profits we've generated from the start. What it means is that if we had spent, you know, three to 5,000 rupees acquiring a customer, we would not have been a profitable business. If you are not a profitable business, we would have had to go raise venture capital. Here's so, what's difficult to understand. So you went from launching Zerodha in 2010 to becoming India's largest retail broker and amongst the largest trading platforms in the world. Now, I understand you didn't take any VC or PE money, but how on earth did you do this without taking on any debt as well? You are debt-free as well today. I <laughs> right. Yeah, I think... I think uh, building a business is like growing a forest. You cannot just, you know, like put fertilizers and pesticides and hope that it'll grow. I think it takes time uh, to build one. It's, it's slow and steady. Um, so we have never, I think, I think this whole bootstrapping fits in very well with the philosophy of some of us as a core team. Uh, you know, we have never gotten up any year and said, we want to be at this target. That, you know, the, the goal always has been, we get up every day, we try to do something better. You know, we improve our product, we improve our customer service, we improve whatever possible slightly. And, you know, you keep doing it over time, you know, this will have compounding kind of benefits. And then it take it will take time. So, you know, so uh, our, you know, the first five, six years, I think until 2016, we were at 70,000 customers, right? And uh, so it was a slow, steady growth, which also gave us time to learn about different aspects of our business, you know, learn about technical debt and you know, all, all of these things that you would not have learned if you had kind of built it in a quick time. You know, if you had gone from you know, zero to say 20 lakh customers in three years, I don't think we would have had the time to learn from a lot of mistakes that we made, right? Because at that time you would just be just trying to, you know, do whatever it is to kind of handle the customers of sorts, you know? So I think the learnings have been better because We've grown, we've taken time to grow. The other philosophy that has also worked very well is, is this whole don't do to customer what you don't want done to you, right? As in, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is, a lot of people say it, but I think we've, uh, we've been kind of, you know, I think we've mostly followed it. Like, for example, we are a no spam business. So we don't send one email, one push notification unless the customer asks for it. Mm-hmm. As in, we have done 12 push notifications on our mobile app in the last one year. And that too, after a lot of debate, you know, internally, we talk so much before we send one, one push notification. Because I think push notifications are annoying, you know. <laughs> you know, so like receiving them. And they're just constantly popping up and getting in the way of everything that you're trying to do. Now, Bootstrapping allows you to follow it. And which means that you know that you're one of the few businesses who can say and do something like this. Whereas other businesses who are always forced to grow at any cost will not be able to take this stance saying, I'll not push notify, I'll not throw ads wherever possible. Uh, you know, I'll not trigger customers to transact, even if it's not right for the customer, right? So we can, we can more, you know, gives us more freedom and leverage 
to do what is right for the customer. Uh, and that's why, you know, I said earlier that it, it, while today it's not possible to raise, you know, build a business bootstrap, you know, almost any type of business. Um, but at least, you know, if you kind of get investors on board who are in for the cause and not oversold to the story, then they might help you kind of get some of the benefits that come along with running a bootstrap business, which is to do what is right for the customer before even that you think what is right for the investors. Within, you're not painting a very rosy picture of uh, VCs and investors. It sounds like they're <laughs> the hard taskmasters have a whip behind you. The moment you take their money, they're going to drive you to do all sorts of bizarre things that you may or may not want to do. It's it's not not like that. You know, not I mean, there are great businesses built. You know, raising venture capital, but the but the problem with I think capitalism in today's world, you know, and maybe even venture capitalism is its growth at all costs. Right, the entire entire venture capital model is built on one or two super outcomes in a portfolio. So the venture capitalist is forced to kind of push you to be that outcome or perish. Right, as in because you know they they want a hundred x on on every investment they are doing. Right, so uh, because anything which is giving one one and a half x is not enough. Right, as in. Uh, so yeah, so it's been considered pretty good, say fifty years ago or thirty years ago. <laughs> return would have been considered extraordinary. Yeah, no, I I think you know I think the I think it eventually boils down to all the excess liquidity in the ecosystem over the last five ten years, you know, and which is kind of you know these these are all different faces to that excess liquidity of sorts. Now, when money is available cheaply, you know, so it's like you know all these weird things have happened in the world. Nitin, I think Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, did a great disservice to the startup world by inventing this term called blitzscaling, which is <laughs> go from say hundred customers to a million customers overnight. And I don't know if I'm quoting him correctly, but he said something to the effect, effect of uh, you do whatever customer service you can, including if this, if you can't afford to do any customer service while grid scaling, then do zero customer service. Just scale and do this giant global land grab to grab as many customers as you can. How did you resist the urge to blitz scale? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think it it ever sat in well philosophically, you know, in the sense, uh, even when we made money, it, you know, this whole, <laughs> let's maybe spend some money to, grow, you know, Acquire more users faster, right? Because 2020, 21 was really stupid years of sorts. You know, in the sense for the broking industry, as in there's so much interest in the markets, mm-hmm. and you know, like the competitors doing IPL ads and etc. Right? So uh, you know, it was very tempting, but uh, it didn't it didn't feel like the right thing to do. You know, so it didn't feel philosophically the right thing to do. You competed with very well-funded competitors when you started Zeroda, and you compete with equally well-funded competitors now. So how do you compete with well-funded competitors when you're when you're a bootstrap business no i think i think you know when you don't have too much money in the bank you you automatically think like that you know so this whole i'll wait for profits to happen etc it happens it comes when you have money you know like excess money on the table and when there is no money i think you automatically are wired to figure you know, how do we how do i acquire user to make money uh, nitin are you a fan of the of the tv show silicon valley the one set in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's one episode in which there are a group of entrepreneurs chatting and there's a VC and one of them says, uh, you know, my company actually made a profit last quarter and everybody's shocked. Yeah. Think, well, are you crazy? Never make a profit. <laughs> if you make a profit, we can value your business as X multiple of the profit. So never make a profit. Uh, that's one of the worst things you can do. What happened to the good old fashioned idea of starting a business, creating a product or a service, selling it at a profit? And starting to be profitable from day one or day five or day thirty, what happened to that idea? No, I think I think that, that idea is coming back. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> now that <laughs> the funding winter, 
Yeah, no, now that the interest rate cycles have turned, you know, when money was available at zero cost, mm-hmm. right? I mean, um, you know, it was it was easy to kind of build businesses, you know, just leveraging it at low cost capital. Right now that you know the interest rates in the USA is four and a half five percent, you know, and so that that money is coming, you know, at a certain cost. It's not going to be easy raising capital now. So I think I think uh, I mean you're already seeing it, and all startups are talking about profitability, and uh, and I think it's going to only intensify. I don't see how the cycle turns around very quickly. This seems like you know we are in a at least a two three years before. Uh, uh, life turns around. amount of madness hits us. Nitin, <laughs> yeah. you don't seem to place much importance on the concept of valuation. Am I right about that? You valued yeah. Zeruda at two billion. In, in reality, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fifteen times. You know, so we. I think you know we will grow. We can potentially grow the business ten to fifteen percent year on year from from current levels mm-hmm. for the next 10, 15 years. So yeah, we we multiply our profits in that 10 to 15 times range and then value ourselves. And the only reason we value ourselves is because uh, for the ESOP buyback that we do in the business. But if you were to ask me, then what's your valuation? I'll say the money in the bank. And also, I mean, that's really the valuation. So for a bootstrapped entrepreneur, would 10x of revenue be a good way to value your company? Or Sorry, 10x of profit or 3x of revenue? Would that those be good metrics? No, I don't. I mean, see, the thing is, it depends why you're valuing yourself. Right. I mean, if you're a bootstrap business, you don't have to value. I mean, that's really freedom in itself, right? As in, you know, otherwise uh, people like us in the media will constantly ask you, <laughs> what is your valuation, current valuation? The, I don't think a bootstrap entrepreneur should go the route of even telling a valuation. We were, you know, we didn't ever declare it, but when we did this whole internal valuation, it got out and it got a lot of press, right? But uh, but I think because you know, as soon as you put that valuation, then you're trying, you no, know, all most entrepreneurs are very competitive in nature right and you know once you have a certain number now you want to beat that number right as in and you know suddenly you're then trying to optimize for what is right to make that valuation more and you know and and as soon as you get into that journey it's very hard to remain bootstrapped you know, so. value creation versus valuation that's the classic debate that many <laughs> entrepreneurs are stuck now Nitin, uh you must have received phone calls from every vc and pe in the world worth their salt right um, how did you turn all of them down? How did you resist the urge? Was it did they find it impolite that you'd said no to their money? Not really. I think I think a lot of them were surprised. You know, when I met some of the biggest investors in the world. I mean, I, I've I've met everyone. I'm in you know I keep in talking terms because I think uh, these are some of the smartest guys I know. You know, the guys working in the VCP community. So there's a lot to learn talking to them with all their experiences. I I I spent a lot of time, but. Uh, you know, a lot of this interest came for Zeroda only after we started making money, you know, so, and and by then I had kind of realized that the freedom that you have bootstrapping is a lot more valuable than the money that you get by raising capital, you know, so, and, uh, and, and then, you know, it, it allows for us as a business to do things, which is very hard for competition to, right. Um, and so, yeah, so once we realized that, then it was a no brainer. I was like, you know, why even take on this obligation? That will have force us to change the way we operate as a business. I mean, I think the checks only got bigger over time. Uh, you know, last one two years, you know, when Robin Hood was at I think eighty five billion valuation, I had a conversation. One guy said, "Why don't you go buy yourself an island or whatever?" You know, and then, <laughs> and then I said, "Did you? Did you <laughs> buy an island?" <laughs> no, I mean. The thing is, uh, one of the reasons I think we've all been able to stay this way is also because uh, the core team, you know, no one has any 
material ambitions in life i mean there was at one point of time but then i think a lot of us kind of hit the plateau like a long time back you know so incrementally nothing has changed over the last 3 4 years you know in terms of materially so there was no material goals in life and ambitions of sort so so then yeah it's like you know take money and do what right as in it's it's really that was the kind of question we asked and uh, even with our own capital today which is not you know which we think is not required for the business we are you know through our foundation you know we allocated like 100 million dollars and you know we deployed 50 million through that already you know so so we already started doing that because you know uh, you know the belief is that you know as and when this wealth concentration problem increases i think i think society is going to become a lot more complex and wherever there is concentration people have to do something about it so nitin let me ask you a personal question were you born into a wealthy family no no my my dad is a bank manager you know my mom is a teacher in finance but your son is going to be born into a wealthy family absolutely it's 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 how are you going no, to manage this <laughs> it's a it's an extremely i think you know when i think about you know my life right now you know i think it's the most complex problem to solve you know he's 7 years old and i don't have an answer to it you know i'm i've tried to put him in a school which doesn't give too much value to money of sorts uh and you know i'm trying to have him hang around with people who don't care and value based on you know the wallet size etc but it's it's going to be hard for him because you know whatever he does i think he plays good drums for example but you know i remember one of these conversations where someone said you no know, you know he comes from wealth so he can learn you know he'll probably have the best teachers to teach him drums you know so uh so i think i think you know that's going to be a baggage for him you have a lot of that in his life i guess yeah it is you know there is there is no to be around it uh, so i think i think right now one i'm one i'm trying to figure ways for him not to take all of this for granted uh you know uh, which is very easy in today's world and two is also help him help discover what he likes loves to do and right? and because you know when you you know when you find something you like love to do i think you will not you'll stop chasing for it by spending money you know because today and you think this is the biggest problem you're trying to solve for these days <laughs> yeah absolutely no sir okay getting back to the last few questions in the interview uh, once upon a time we used to say here's a business it's profit making or it's loss making right and, mm-hmm. and now we hear of all sorts of new terms gmv for instance <laughs> i don't see understand what the term really means it's just the <laughs> value of the merchandise you sold it doesn't matter if you sold it at a profit or loss there's ebitda positive eps accretive operational break even for a young entrepreneur these terms can be a bit confusing nitin right so what is your suggestion for what are the top metrics a bootstrapped entrepreneur should look out for in his or her business but you know probably <laughs> yeah, really <laughs> yeah i mean how much your bank balance is going up because see the thing is i think every for every entrepreneur right the more the runway you have the more mental peace you are at like you know like one of the you know i kind of hit my mental peace you know like i think peak levels when i knew that Uh, you know zeroda has a runway for 8 years in the sense you know even if the revenue goes to zero you know we can survive for 8 years to figure what to do mm-hmm. and uh, i think i think for for especially for bootstrap founders you know who are not thinking of raising money i think slowly and steadily building up on the runway means that you know you'll eventually you know it it keeps bringing more and more freedom of sorts yeah so i think i think so the only way you can increase runway as a bootstrap business is by pat you know everything else means nothing you know really <laughs> so Okay another last personal question before we finish the interview while you've never raised money you're an active investor in other startups 
management. Is there a dichotomy there? Don't you feel like calling the startup founder and saying, first, please don't raise any money. <laughs> don't take any money and certainly not from me. Do you feel like saying that to start? No, no, I, I, almost every startup founder that we... So the thing is, the, you know, when we started Rain Matter, which is our fintech fund, uh, the, the idea was to collaborate because we said we want to expand the capital market ecosystem in India. And we said, we can't do this ourselves. So we need to partner and collaborate. And that's how we started talking to, you know, and it was not really for investment. You know, it was about how do we collaborate? And then when we realized that they also needed money, we said, you know what, let's also invest. But <clears throat> right from, you know, when they asked for our, our check to when they go out and raise up another money, you know, my advice has always been the same as in, don't just take it just for the sake of taking it. You know, I mean, you know, there's whole saying that right? take money when they're giving I think money brings obligation. You shouldn't take it even if you, if you don't need it at all. You know, I mean, you know, so, and, uh, and that's been a stance. Uh, and like I said, you know, in today's world, it's impossible to build a bootstrap business. I mean, I think 99.9% .9 of the people can't build it bootstrap, right? So you, you need to go raise money. I think it's about finding the right kind of investors because, you know, as a startup, there are a lot of blind sides that you have and, and the right kind of investors can help you know, with those blight sides as well. So, so yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, everyone should go build a bootstrap business because it's really hard today. But, uh, but think of, you know, even if you were to go raise money, think of money as an obligation, then, you know, you will automatically think of underselling to your investor and doing what is right for the customer and all of that. You know, so. Okay, Nitin Kamath of Zerodha, thank you very much for being part of ET Startup School. Thanks, Suvish, for having me on this. So that brings us to almost the end of today's class at ET Startup School. If you'd like to be a good student, check out and do the homework assignment in the show notes. If you like the podcast, share it with family, friends, even your frenemies. ET Startup School is produced by Animesh Das with inputs from Anupriya Nair, Erika D'Souza, Arijit Barman, Shilpa Sharma, Harish Shavla, Govind Mundra and Vishal Bhandari. ET Startup School is available on economictimes.com and ET Play as well as Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Geo Savan and Google Podcasts.